I think we're going to say see the same thing with AI. That that's going to uh, dramatically change the landscape for all kinds of things, uh, including the trading or investment uh, markets that we all have to pay attention to. Uh, but it's so soon that um, we don't even know what the impact is going to be. And I think I, on my own podcast, a, a number of different people have said this in the same way. that We're only really, what are we now, 14 years into cryptocurrencies. Like gold's been around for 2,000 years right. <laughs> or 5,000 years. Like we're not, we're not sophisticated enough to understand what um, cryptocurrencies can actually do. And they become the object of speculation in the meantime. The demise of the dollar. Do you feel like cryptocurrency, possibly even the gold back, those might be solutions that would step in front and be a little bit more stable in the future? I think that maybe down the road, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of blockchain because of the privacy that it allows and um, and the record of ownership. I, I think that the, that as an innovation is a useful thing. And I also think it's going to make the banking system much more efficient. Like you're going to cut out middlemen, which is just means you don't have to pay uh, fees that you don't understand or don't want to pay. So I think that the, it's a move in the right direction. But as we've seen, uh, just take Bitcoin as an example, it's hugely volatile. Anytime there's an innovation that comes into the market, uh, it gets speculated on and the speculation drives prices up and down and sideways and like it's more of a mob mentality. I think that the technology behind it is good and and will be improved. I I, I like we're still seeing um, blockchain getting hacked by whatever. Uh, I think that'll be improved over time. Uh, but I'm right. I'm I mean at this time. I'm just not. I have not been a. <laughs> crypto evangelist just because it's so speculative and there's a lot of people that get drawn into that market because they're like oh this is the solution to government manipulation of fiat currency and i totally understand why that's a attractive position to take mm -hmm. but it's not there yet yeah and I, then, I think there's i think there's an argument for cryptocurrency where it's it's the inflation killer it's there's there's like a whole ton of reasons, to, but then you see the markets go down and crypto goes down with it. You see inflation go up and crypto goes down. And it's a lot of the reasonings there don't really make, they don't really hold water as of yet. And maybe in the future, but same thing back to kind of chasing the next or chasing the next solution of the tech stocks, trying to buy it at highs or any, any investment that that's everyone's hyped about. It, yeah. I think, yeah I if think you were early enough, it's great, but. I think we're going to say see the same thing with AI. That that's going to uh, dramatically change the landscape for all kinds of things, uh, including the trading or investment uh, markets that we all have to pay attention to. Uh, but it's so soon that um, we don't even know what the impact is going to be. And I think 
I, on my own podcast, a, a number of different people have said this in the same way that we're only really, what are we now, 14 years into cryptocurrencies. Like gold's been around for 2,000 years right. <laughs> or 5,000 years. Like we're not, we're not sophisticated enough to understand what um, cryptocurrencies can actually do. And they become the object of speculation in the meantime. And you know what? It's weird because I have a lot of people that come on to my show and they're they're very persuasive. They're very logical and they make a good case for um, crypto being an alternative to fiat currency. And I, I'm always persuaded by what they say. And then I think about it. I'm like, yeah, but it's still being, uh, you know, it's still an ob object of speculation. Like uh, Michael Saylor, for example, is um, I was just writing about him like last month. He's a huge proponent of uh, Bitcoin and he put a bunch of micro strategy money into Bitcoin. And on a daily basis, he's either up like a couple billion dollars or down a couple of billion. <laughs> it's yeah, you got to have a strong stomach. You got to have a strong right. stomach. I mean, maybe if you have billions to worry about, then yeah. I don't know. I'm just not a huge fan. <laughs> yeah, I, I think with any investment, just I mean, just for anybody listening, just be okay losing it all. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, and that's a that's one of the pieces of advice that we give is um, on those kind of speculative uh, ventures, and I would include crypto in that. It just make sure that you know that you know you're not betting the house on it you're just speculating and maybe make a lot of money and that'd be great, but um, it's still valued in dollars, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I, have a, I have a friend, He so I got a position in some different crypto and stuff like that. And he was just like, oh, when are you going to sell? When are you going to sell? I'm like, well, I don't, either at zero or a million, I guess. I, I don't know. Like, that's, I'm, I'm that's not okay. going to sell. Like, as long as you know what you're doing. I'm, yeah, I'm, if, if, if it goes to zero, I'll be like, hey, they got me. You know, what I, I don't know, but if it's if it's the technology everybody promises, then cool. I, I feel like. But I even just the fact that we're having this conversation is like there's not any stable, um, you know, there's no basis for the valuation. It's right. it gets traded in the market, and we kind of all jump in because we know that the market can be fruitful, but uh, it's it's not investing; it's speculating. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that there are some correlations between inflation and a lot of the commodity prices. Are there, I guess, commodities that you would recommend that traders would pay attention to, watching kind of what those correlations are, maybe looking for opportunities to take advantage of uh, with the rising or potentially falling inflation as that all plays out in the near future? Yeah, I, I'm just... Like long term, this is not a speculation in my view. It's a mm -hmm. just long term. Anything that contributes to cheap energy, I think, is going to be a good play. So, yeah. I think oil is going to be a good play for a long time. I think natural gas is going to be a good play for a long time. I think things like uh, copper and silver, the stuff that we make computers with and electric cars, whatever you know, whatever the fancy of the um, corporate world is. It still needs all of those amenities. Rare earths, I I still think they're they're worth paying attention to, um, because 
they go into our phones and our computers and, mm-hmm. and our cars and stuff like that. I think all of that over time, even with the inflationary, like let's say it goes, what's the phrase right now? Disinflationary. It's not rising as fast. I still think that the the demand for commodities over time is going to, is going to rise. I think it's just management of the companies that uh, that you want to invest in, um, which is a whole field in in and of itself. It's a big chunk of the newsletter business is mm-hmm. studying how to produce commodities mm-hmm. uh, and mining and that kind of thing. So I think okay. over the long term, that's that's definitely, in my view, a good place to put your money. But there's pitfalls. You got to understand. Um, how those companies are managing and what what the difference between investing in the the actual materials themselves and the companies that produce them. No, fair point. Well, I want to get into uh, some of the some of the regional banking for for a minute. I don't know if you've had um, how much research you've done or how close you've been watching some of the the regional banks specifically, but. So my, my little tinfoil hat theory is that the Fed, Jerome Powell has a list of banks that are on the brink, right, of just collapsing. And I, I think there's like a certain category for every time they raise a quarter point and they go, okay, we got to check on this bank because they're they're on the edge, right? Because we, we saw the rate hikes and then you see uh, 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 SVB go under, you saw FRC, you raise it again, then you see uh, PacWest starting to get bought out by by uh, Bank of California, and there's like all these like little regional moves, but yet every time they come out, the banks are stable and secure, and nothing <laughs> nothing to worry about. How how big do you really think that the underlying problem is for a lot of the the, the regional banks currently? Um, well, I don't think we get like certainly if you're just following mainstream news, like I think it's a big deal, and it was a big deal in the financial media for you know, from March until like May. I feel like the shortest time ever, but yeah. Yeah. But then it was taken over by the debt ceiling debate. And then, and then it was taken over after that by um, more stuff going on in Ukraine. Like the, the public's perception of what is challenging to the regional banks is like, you know, it's fleeting. Like nobody really cares unless you're an investor in banks and then you better know like how these banks are run the 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 the, the example of svb was just um i don't know as as a writer about these things and an observer um it was it was just entertaining they told <laughs> up is that's what happened they yeah. put all the money in treasuries and then they didn't have a risk manager who was understanding what would happen if they started raising interest rates like it's it's insane to me how much money was going into that bank. They didn't have to invest it because there was a lot of flow coming in from from um, tech startups, people that were just trying to put their money somewhere so that they could make payroll and stuff like that. SVB didn't have to invest any of that money. Normally, a bank takes money in and then they invest it and then they kind of manage the risk of their own investments, but they didn't do that. They put it all in treasuries and then um, the Fed had to fight inflation and, and they didn't do anything. The bank went under in 48 hours. That 
it was just like, I don't know. I didn't have any money in banking. I didn't have any, you know, dog in the fight. But I was like, just entertaining to me. There, there had to have been, yeah, there had to have been some kind of reflection. I understand that it was not a good thing, but I was like, man. Yeah, there was, there was uh, I think, flight logs of, like, some of the Fed flying out to to the banks, like, before the news broke, before, like, there, there had to be some kind of red flags that, that were coming up, and just all that all that news was kind of released later. And yeah. just the, the how quick it was, it took a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> for well, it, entire bank collapse and... it started on a Thursday. It was over by Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Insane. I know. That's I know. I, haven't seen I just have an opinion about that because I think the bigger issue with the, with the banking system right now is a systemic threat, um, which the FDIC treasury department and um, federal reserve, they claim they have a handle on it, but that's all we hear from them is like, it's not a problem. But they also publish, if you go, um, it, it, the Treasury itself publishes a thing called the Contagion Index, and it lists the um, unfunded or the un, um, the losses that are sitting on uh, big banks' um, balance sheets that they haven't declared yet. And it's in the trillions. It, it you could just like literally just Google it and look for Treasury Contagion Index, and it shows that some of the biggest banks and J.P. Morgan is one because they bought up um, a lot of the liabilities, mostly from First Republic. Um, they just added those liabilities to their own balance sheet and their their undeclared losses, and they're just sitting out there. Um, so I think the the systemic issue with the banking system is a bigger deal than regional banks uh, per se because it, you really only care about the regional banks if you um if you're an investor in banks if you think that banks are a good investment and you have your money in them then you want to pay attention to those uh to the stories that go along around those i think the bigger issue is the centralization of the banking system as a whole and uh, well i I guess the thought process for the regional banks is um because yeah if if a regional bank goes under a handful of people probably too many more than should get affected but I, i think it's more of the contagion like you mentioned it was it's more of how deep is this issue? And and if the smaller banks are feeling it, how, how much of that is leaking into the JP Morgans and the city banks and bank of America? Like, is that a, is that a problem that they're facing as well? Because if we start to see any of the contagion kind of reach the bigger guys, uh, then we're definitely sitting on a house of cards and, and there, there could be some bigger issues I think in the, in the future with that. Yeah, I think so. And the, um, the top five banks on the contagion index are JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, like pretty much all the big banks that most people uh, have some kind of banking relationship with. It's just really interesting to me because, you know, maybe it's not a big deal, but it's kind of hanging out there and it, it bothers me. Um, and then I was, because I was interested in this topic, I was reading Anatomy of a Bubble, which was written by a guy named Garrett Garrett in 1933. It was published in 1933. 
but he was looking at how um, the collapse of the stock market in 1929 affected all of the banks, the regional banks. They're, the banks are the ones that go first when, when the financial system kind of starts falling apart. That's why I think it's important to look at regional banks. And it's also important to look at the contagion index. And then the other thing that is interesting to me as well is um, the, those big banks like JP Morgan, for example, if you take up all of their assets, they have the fifth largest economy on the planet. So there's only five countries or four countries that are are bigger than that bank. And it's like the US, China, Germany, Japan. Like they're a massive institution and they have all of this unrealized uh, loss sitting on their books. It's like a big deal that everyone's like, well, Jamie Dimon's really smart. Maybe he should run for president. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the way it gets interpreted. But Uh, I don't know. I I think... I think being uh, the president is not the best job in the world. And I think you could, you could probably control the country and what you want from being yeah. a Jamie Dimon or head of BlackRock or. Well, some, I mean, like that. Sense, right? even JP Morgan itself was founded uh, by JP Morgan who bailed out the government twice. Yeah. So <laughs> you, you probably have a lot more power actually than a president in some of those positions without the uh, criticism. I don't know. So those things are interesting to me. I don't know. Like I, I, like I was saying before, I think the macro choices are the macro trends are important to pay attention to, but the micro choices that you make, like, what are you going to do with your money? Can you get a good interest rate? Should you speculate versus invest? Like those things are more important when you're trying to manage your own money. Yeah, uh, for sure. The macro stuff is really, is really just fun writing about. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I, I think, I think you can't get caught up too much in the, like, the, there's, a lot of the macro you're not going to be able to control. Like the macro is just, yeah, it is, it's going to flow the way it's going to flow. But yeah, the, the micro and what you do when you get up every single day and how are you able to contribute to your own success and build your wealth and what to invest in. I, I think understanding, like, I, I don't think discounting the macro at all is, is um, worth, worth doing. I, I think it's very extremely important to understand the history. That's why I love having you on the podcast. Cause understanding kind of what we've come through, how we handle the crisis. Uh, this crisis is very different than 2008, but there's some, yeah. there's some solutions that the government figured out during that one that they're going to slowly, if not already, and kind of run the same kind of like, here's my, uh, here's my little playbook and all right, this worked in 2008. Let's try this one again. And they kind of experiment with everything until they figure it out. But um, just kind of understanding that, that, that will at least get you into different, areas and different look at different investments as good opportunities to to make those micro decisions so i think it all kind of comes together in order for us to transition out of whatever macro state that we're currently in what micro moves would you be looking for as clues to potential changes in the big macro market that's a really good question um i think we're kind of stuck until um until the fed is clear on what interest rates are going to do because not only is the Fed determining interest rates for the you know for us for U.S. citizens, but they're also determining the path forward 
that most of the other central banks of the world are following as well. Mm-hmm. So they kind of like make their decisions and then interest rates follow. And until it, there's a clear path, interest rates are going to determine uh, even micro decisions for for quite some time, in my opinion. And this is just, again, I'll, I'm just sort of reiterating the, my thesis is that trying to manage a fiat currency is what the Fed's trying to do. It's what the Treasury is trying to do. It's what we have to do as uh, as investors, too. Mm-hmm. I think micro decisions, um, you know, if you can get a good rate here or you can buy this at this price and sell it at, at the next price where you have to find a good piece of land and you want to hold on to it for a bit. Like those are the types of decisions you have to make in your own life. But um, you, like you said, you can't do anything about the macro situation. And the, the, in my opinion, the, the economy is just in hold. I've, I've been writing this uh, series I call The Tour of Great Complacency. I like the Great Depression and the Great Recession. Right now, I think we're in the Great Complacency. We're just like waiting for something to happen. I've, I've been to a bunch of different, I, my daughter's looking at different colleges. I've been to a few concerts. I went to a few conferences this this summer and everywhere I go, it's everyone's just sort of waiting for something to happen. I don't know how long that's going to last. I think this fall is going to change things. But, but right now, uh, the macro picture is not resolved enough for people mm-hmm. to make big decisions. We'll have to uh, we'll have to get you back in a few months or a year as yeah, soon as something, something happens so we could dwell on uh, this is what we, we could check off what we were right and what we're wrong on. But uh, we'll see because it's it's a very fluid situation out there. Um, I think if we talk again in October, we're going to. have. Yeah, I, I, I think that would be a good idea. Bring, bring <laughs> it back in October and maybe we'll catch the top of the market somewhere. I don't know. But uh Appreciate having you on, Addison. This, ladies and gentlemen, this is Addison Wigan once again. Uh, hold up that book one more time. Give give me a, another quick plug. There you go. The demise of the dollar, and we'll have all the uh, description of the book where to buy it, all that stuff into the description of the podcast too. So if anybody wants to read it, uh, pleasure if you want to join, if you want to join me, I have these uh, kind of conversations on a weekly basis on my own thing called the Wigan Sessions, which yeah. you could just the Wigan sessions and sign up. Awesome. We'll, we'll plug the uh, the link into that too so it's easy for you guys to find. Awesome. And then Tracy, always a pleasure having you on. All you guys that listen to us each and every week, we appreciate having you guys here. But until next time, we'll catch you guys in the next episode of the Pivot Podcast. Take it easy, guys. Um, 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 um.